You know, it's funny, this is a bit of a Hallmark episode, but I just, I, I can't bring myself to like it as much as I want to. You know? There's a lot of ideas here that feel not really fully formed. Almost as though, like, there was a script, and then someone else finished writing the script. So this was a Roddenberry script, but he didn't actually write the whole thing. He only wrote the first act. If you're paying attention, well, okay. Um, Herschel Daugherty was the director. He directed Operation Annihilate. And Roddenberry started the script, and then Arthur Henneman, who also did Wink of Time and Garden of Eden, finished the script. Um, this, the original script intention was to be a commentary, a negative commentary, on network television, which didn't really come through in the final word. In fact, I think only a single line of dialogue exists from that particular idea. The fact that all the Excalbians are watching them. And I don't want to sound too dismissive. The episode's not terrible. The guy they picked to play Lincoln is not bad. And actually the effect on the outfit for the Excalbian is really good for the time. I, I know I hate to say that, but I mean, I have seen more modern outfits that look stupider than this. To be perfectly blunt, I've seen stuff on DS9 and TNG that looks worse than the Excalbians in this episode. So definite props here. But... Well, let's just jump into this. The episode begins with what might be one of the more engaging and interesting teasers in TOS. And I know that sounds strange because it's so stupid, but hear me out for a second. So they're cruising through space and all of a sudden they get a, a message from Abraham Lincoln. Cut to, cut to credits, cut, cut to the thing, and that's the teaser. And so immediately they're thinking, oh my god, is he time displaced? Was he transplanted? Which they would eventually do with the 37s. Um, is he an alien who's impersonating? Which, uh, which I actually can't think of another example of an alien impersonation off the top of my head. It could be an illusion, you know. It could also be an alien, as in Lincoln was always an alien. We did that with Who Mourns for Adonais, right? There's all these possibilities just bouncing around your head and it's like... What's going on? That's a really effective teaser. I will give credit where credit is due. Then we go through a fairly decent chunk of time um, where this the, the episode tries to play up the mystery elements because the first act is a mystery. This is a, this is a clear mystery episode. Although I have to comment on something. Do you still use minutes? Oh, well, we can convert to them. What? Whatever, I'm not even going to comment on that. Kirk's strategy is to play along while trying to figure out what's going on, which actually makes a good deal of sense. And as they go through, they all clearly agree, that's not Lincoln, but who is he, and why, and what's going on, and what's the significance of this? There has to be something going on with this, right? We see a bit of the rock creature thing, and they have to debate whether or not we beam down and why we deal with this, and should we go, and just there's all this, this build-up now I bring all this up because if you if you look at the script with the camera zoomed out, the Excalbians sending Lincoln to be beamed up to be beamed down makes absolutely no sense. They should have just had like like I shouldn't say absolutely no sense, but it's unnecessary for their overall plan, especially given the level of control they have over the Enterprise and people in general. They don't need to take that step, and you'll notice that as soon as they beam down. The mystery is over. One of the first things that happens at the beginning of Act 2 is the Excalibur shows up and says, Hey, so let me explain what's going on, and we get the reveal that this is all this big thing that he's setting up in order to you know, understand concepts, so you get to fight good versus evil. Okay, cool. 
But here's my point. That's the reveal. That's the payoff. The mystery is over. Then the last two acts of the episode are threat. There is an opponent that we need to defeat in order to save ourselves and the ship, which we do, and then we leave. You'll notice they don't even defeat the Excalbians, and they don't manage to talk their way through them or otherwise try to avoid the problem. They defeat the enemy that the Excalbians put in front of them. They play the game. They win the game. They get to go home. So this is a clear threat episode once we get to the second act. And now I'm going to bring up what I mentioned earlier. So Roddenberry apparently wrote the first chunk of the script. I'm sorry, one moment. I have I just finished lunch, so I still have a little bit of a thing going on here. You can tell I work through eating, right? Or eat while working, however you want to think of that. Anyways, so Roddenberry wrote the first bit of the script, and I'm hoping to find an exact quote here. Here we go, here we go. Let me just quote Arthur Heinemann directly. Gene Roddenberry wrote half a script, and I don't know if he couldn't figure out how to end it or if he got tired or had other things to do. He was in and out of the show at the time. His script was handed to me, and I wrote the last two acts and rewrote some of the first two acts. I guess I must have liked it, although otherwise I wouldn't have taken it. Though at the time, I found myself capable of making myself like anything they gave me. Yeah, I know that feeling. Anyways, that's the point. This is literally two scripts written by two people with two intents. That's why it feels so... Eh? Because the first part really is strange compared to the second part. And like I said, the very intent of the episode completely shifts. So they go down, and there's Surak. Now, I want to say this very bluntly. Um, I'm an idiot. But if you suddenly showed me Surak, I'd be like, oh, It's Surak! Dude! Right? Now, the reason that Kirk says who is so that we can expose it to the audience who Surak is. Because believe it or not, this is a first. This is the first inclusion of Surak and Kalis into Star Trek lore. Kalis, who would obviously go on to be relevant in several TNG things and a couple other things. And, of course... Surak, who would be mentioned many times in the future and would actually show up in Enterprise. So that's that's just interesting. Also, Colonel Green, who would be referenced a few times and originally had this whole thing planned for season, uh, late Enterprise, which had to be scrapped because Enterprise got canceled. <sighs> but either way, all of these characters are characters who have become part of the mythos and backstory of their particular races and will come up multiple times in the future. So that that's that's a big deal. I'm with it. Cool, cool. Um, but the idea that Kirk doesn't know who Surak is is frankly silly, especially for the sake of just simple exposition. Now, Surak does say something. This is an awesome quote. And I'm, I want to say that, that I mean that with total sincerity. Surak says, We were not aware of humans in my time, I am pleased to see that we have so many differences. May we together become greater than the sum of both of us. Awesome. That is so awesome right there. That's that mentality that I mentioned I, I you know, kind of believe in. And, of course, the very idea of what is usually uh, praised as Vulcan philosophy, I-D-I-C. Love it. Great thing. Very well stated. And then, like I said, then we have the payoff with the Excalibians and the games that we have to go fight. Now... <clears throat> Oh, and the Enterprise is forced to watch and do nothing and be helpless while the people on the ground do the real stuff. That comes up a lot, doesn't it? Which, I I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. Either way, you'll notice I'm just kind of racing through this episode. This is a fairly bland episode, if I might be so bold. There's not a lot of interesting ideas or characters here. The one thing I do want to mention before I move any forward, 
It's the idea of hero worship. Now, we all do hero worship to some extent or another. We do. It may be a historical character. It may be a fictional character. It may be someone we know personally in real life. There's that old saying, never meet your heroes. I've never agreed with that. I think it's more that when we, bec when we get older, we gain more of an understanding of the world, or at least we should. And in so doing, we can accept that our heroes are not perfect, great, amazing people, but rather that we're people that we may still actually honor and venerate despite or indeed because of their flaws. You know, the IDIC thing again. Now, you might say, well, what if you grow up and you find out your hero was a terrible person? Then they're not your hero anymore. But what if you grow up and you find out that they were a decent person or a good person or a person who did good who was a flawed person? then you have a real hero. So I like this idea as posited that Kirk is just a little bit starstruck around Lincoln and you know venerates the man. And that's probably why Lincoln was specifically decided upon. Was it, oh my God, it's Lincoln. This is so incredible. It's funny because near as I can tell, and I haven't done a deep dive on Lincoln, so please add a bunch of asterisks to this, but Lincoln was one of those good man who was flawed kind of heroes. Someone who might qualify as actually being a real hero. Now again, haven't done a deep dive, so I can't comment on that, and I haven't been through that period of history yet, so I'm not really sure personally. But to use another example, um, this is actually great. Kirk is so obvious in his fan gushing about Lincoln. No judgment. Spock is so understated in his fan gushing of Surak. He even apologizes to Surak for his emotional outburst. I love that. I really, really love the the contrast between the two men. Because both of them effectively have the same reaction to their heroes. It's just they demonstrate it completely differently based on who they are. And the episode makes a point of noting that, too. Just a nice little character piece that helps to elevate this episode a bit. Anyways, getting on with the, the, the second half, which is the threat. So there's the evil ones. Okay. Um, we have Kalis who's, duh, you know, emperor, founder of Klingon culture, blah, blah, blah. We have Colonel Green, a.k.a. the founder of the Optimum. We have, um... Genghis Khan, I remember, was there. But I, I don't remember the fourth person, and I, I actually looked her up, and I didn't see anything about her. She doesn't have any, even have any lines of dialogue in the episodes. So that's kind of funny. But then again, neither does Genghis Khan. Because remember, budget, having six guest stars, technically seven, but six guest stars, uh, four of which, yes, four of which have speaking roles. Yeah, that, that probably set them back on the price. That is also probably part of why they didn't do this shot on location. That was the original intent. There was a canyon they were going to go re film at, probably one you're familiar with if you're familiar with Star Trek, and they didn't. And there's, there's conflicting reports as to why. I think it was just the budget. This many guest stars probably, you know, really hurt that. Anyways... So the evil ones are like right there. Why don't they attack? Also, why does Green work with any of these people? Why do any of the evil people work together? Also, Green is known for attacking during negotiations. First of all, if you know that, why would you just blindly negotiate with him without having some kind of plan of action? Second, if you know that, why would you confront him about that to his face? I cannot be the only person who that seems like a really strange choice to. This is also a good time to mention that the Excalbians are godlike aliens. Because there's so many of those. Right, is this it? Is this the last? Hang on, what's after this episode? Give me just one second here, please. 
Because I know we have Turnabout Intruder. But after this, there's one other episode. I don't remember what it is. Uh, I don't remember that episode. I don't know that name. I think that's it. So I, th I think this is it. Guys, I think this is our final godlike aliens for TOS. Whew, it's getting exhausting trying to keep track of all these. <laughs> um, the Excalibians are like, we will threaten the Enterprise in order to give you motivation. Hey, question. Question. Why do godlike aliens never try honey before they try vinegar? Or, to put it bluntly, why do they never try positive reinforcement instead of negative reinforcement? They offer the, you know, the evil ones what they want, power, and they offer Kirk to spare his crew, positive versus negative. Why? And this is not just true in this episode. This is so true across everything. The moment you do not bow to me immediately, I will destroy you effortlessly. I mentioned this back in uh, Who Mourns for Adonais because Kirk was actually kind of willing to be like, all right, let's talk, we'll beam down, we'll, we'll chat, except Apollo was a dick about the whole thing. And that's what put Kirk so against him. Now, Apollo was, you know, evil, but <laughs> you get my point? They never try that. Anyways, anyways, whatever, whatever. So, Enterprise, of course, can watch the whole time. Question. At one point, there's a bit in the episode where Kirk flips out his phone and says, Scotty, Scotty, you need to eject the nacelles if you have to. Do you get, get out of here. R report, report, do anything. No. My communicator's been turned off. This is totally worthless now. They'll never hear my message. Doo -doo 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 -doo. About 90-ish seconds later, it cuts to them on the bridge watching the whole scene with audio. The, the reason this feels so strange is because the episode sort of treats it like, oh no, communication has been cut off again. But they can hear them. That's already actually demonstrated prior to that point. So the fact that the comms are cut off is just, huh? Obviously they can't do anything anyways because the ship is being damaged and destroyed by the Excalbians, but what? Anyways, they then decide to go and fight, and Kirk starts thinking tactically, and Surak insists on offering peace. You know what? I get that. One of the most difficult things to do is reach out a hand to an enemy, and I mean that with total sincerity. One of those really, really, really horrible things that is a part of reality is knowing when to reach out that hand and acknowledging that you don't always know when you should reach out that hand. Sometimes you are going to be burned, or in Sorok's case, killed, because you reached out that hand. That's life. And he even mentions that's exactly what happened to his own people. They reached out a hand and they were killed, and then they reached out a hand and they were killed, then they reached out a hand and eventually it stuck. That's how that goes, you know, the Undertale thing, right? It's harder to, to offer, to try to be nice and kind to someone who is actively trying to kill you. Sometimes you shouldn't offer the hand, but how do you know? Now, all of this was going through my head as I'm watching this, and I'm thinking, yeah, no, I'm kind of with Surak, because he's not sure. He doesn't really know. And maybe there's a possibility. It's distant, because this is an, ex this is an artificially crafted scenario. And that's why, you know, I would think, no, it's not going to work. Not because peace is not tenable with these individuals, but peace is not tenable in an artificial arena scenario that's been crafted by the Excalbians, right? Kind of site-specific there. None of that is, of course, mentioned. You know what's mentioned? Kirk is like, I have to fight because, you know, because my crew, my ship, my crew, which, you know, I'm okay with obsessing about now that I've forgotten about Reyna. Wait, he did forget about Reyna. It all makes sense. People. Star Trek is people. Anyways, so 
he just kind of he's he's fixated on the ship. But what I do like is Kirk's like, I don't really have the authority to stop you. Go ahead and try it. We will lose nothing. You know, actually, Surak says you will lose nothing if I try. Now he's wrong about that, but it is an interesting logic to approach the situation with. Then Lincoln goes to try and rescue Surak. That's stupid. This is when the episode falls apart really badly. All the way up until now, this has been an okay episode. And then the finale of the episode from this point onwards is just, ugh. And that's why this ended up on the skip list for me. Because what happens is Surak goes and is killed. Then what happens is they hear Surak saying, Help me, Spock, help me. A, that's not Surak. They should know that's not Surak. B, Spock says, that's not Surak. And Kirk ignores him. Flat out ignores him, like he didn't even say that. That you no know, Vulcan would make a cry like that. And then Kirk's like, oh, whatever, he's clearly in pain. I can't just leave him like that. What? And then Spock seems to agree with him. I am also affected by the pain he is clearly in. This then leads to them sending Lincoln to rescue him, which leads to Lincoln dying. For no reason, because that's a really stupid thing. We also see Kirk, who we just saw thinking tactically and was compared to General freaking Grant, totally unearned, if I might be so bold, at least at this era of Trek, maybe back in season two and in, in like the movies, but here? Nah. Anyways, Kirk, Mr. Tactical Thinking, is like, oh my god, he's out there and injured. We should rush out immediately and go rescue him. What? This is so blatantly, obviously a trap on every level. <laughs> if he's actually out there and injured, uh, there's actually there's a military term for that. It's, it's when you leave an opponent alive and in pain, specifically so that they will draw the attention of their soldiers so you can lay an ambush for them, right? B, as already clear, discussed, that's not Surak, so it's a fake to begin with. Why Why does he go along with this? Then Lincoln goes on, and it takes Lincoln... Well, basically, Lincoln never figures out Surak's dead. And even talks out loud, giving away his position, which leads to Lincoln dying. Lincoln then goes and has to have his dignified death, for some reason, and is allowed to, for some reason. And then Kirk and Spock defeat the other three without much effort. We also get a fight scene, which sucks, because, well, the, the choreography is below average, and the camera work is below average, but that's not what makes it suck. What makes it suck is Spock is pathetic in the entire fight, and Kirk has to go defeat Kalis, Kalis, by himself, and then go rescue Spock from Genghis Khan. What? <sighs> yeah. Then... The game is over. And Kirk tries to be like, you know, this this is ridiculous. And rather than, you know, the Excalibur says there's no difference between good and evil. We've learned nothing. Kirk doesn't say, you're an idiot. He doesn't say, we tried... The methodology we were using may have been similar, but our our intent was different. Our approach was different. Our interests were different. He could sit there and give plenty of reasons why the good side versus the evil side were very different in approach to each other. Instead, what he does is he tries to moralize by saying, how many other people have you suggested to this, rather than giving them an answer to their question which might make them stop subjecting people to this. Then, he, the Excalibur is like, yep, peace out, we're done with you. And Kirk and crew just leave. The end. 
And there's a final denouement as they talk about it, and then they explain everything for the audience members, I guess, because I guess nobody figured out that they were rock people. The end. Now, based on those last 15, 10 minutes, however long it is, you might think, oh man, that's terrible, and you're absolutely right. And that's why this is on the skip list. It, I can't give an episode lamentation status just for the last five minutes. See Dear Doctor for an example of that. But unlike Dear Doctor, the first, you know, 30 minutes of this episode is not good. In my opinion, obviously. Let me, let me strike that. I thought the mystery was good. I did. I thought the mystery was good up until the payoff, which was okay. Mm, let me take that back. The reveal was actually pretty good. The payoff was not good. There we go. There we go. Now I've said that correctly. What I would have liked is something more along the, along the lines of the Excalbians. This is how they study people. This is how they interact with people. And I just realized I'm describing the nth degree from TNG, but whatever. You know, maybe something along those lines. What would you do? If you'd wanted to use the Excalbians like this and keep keep that mystery air going. Either way, we're getting close, guys. We're almost there. Just one more episode that I don't remember. I, I, I was just looking at the next episode. I don't remember it. But wait, one last thing. So we introduced Green, Kalis, and Sarek. But this is technically the final Klingon and the final Vulcan for quite some time. But the most important thing is there's two things that we do not see again. Uh, for a while. One is Uhura. This is Uhura's final episode of TOS. She's not in the next two episodes. I wonder why. Like, of all things, that's just kind of a weird one, isn't it? I don't blame her. Nichelle Nichols was never exactly happy with her role here. I am glad that, you know, she is as beloved by the fandom as she should be. Because she's, by all accounts, a pretty upstanding and awesome person. And, you know, I've never met her personally, so I can't comment on that. But I like Uhura. You know, I just wish she had more to do. So I've kind of let slip a few times that I've been kind of interested in doing a mental rewrite of Trek. All of Trek. You you probably know at least part of this because of Voyager. I've mentioned before, you know, the lore runner version of Voyager. And you guys voted for me to stop that. But I've been kind of rewriting, in very broad strokes, TOS in my head. And I have to admit, I find Uhura as a character fascinating. And I would love to know more about her. And I would want to create some connecting branches between her and other characters in order to help flesh her and them out some more. You know, the DS9 approach. Unfortunately, we won't get any fleshing out of Uhura until, uh, you know, the, the films. I could make a joke about Star Trek V here, but I'm not going to. And yeah, I guess that's it. It's time to go ahead and hit number two on the finale list. Hope you've enjoyed, guys. See you around.